Welcome to Tad Dickel's Leadership and Strategy Podcast, bringing you authentic conversations with leaders about their approach to leadership and their organization's strategy for success. Hello and welcome to Tad Dickel's Leadership and Strategy Podcast. This is Tad Dickel. I'm happy to uh, be with you today. This podcast is dedicated to authentic conversations with leaders about their approach to leadership and their organization strategy for success. And today, I am joined with our guest, Evelyn Rivas. Evelyn, welcome. Hello, Dr. Tad. How are you? You don't need to call me Dr. Tad. You are Dr. Tad. You will always be Dr. Tad to me. (laughs) But I appreciate your formality. So, Evelyn, tell us about your uh, background, what kind of roles you have in the community now. I'm currently at Ivy Tech Community College. I am, well, the new director of project implementation and support. That was just in the last three weeks. That's pretty snazzy. Um, I'm also with the organization Alasi. So Alasi is a uh, nonprofit organization. It's based out of Du Bois County and really seeks to serve underserved Latinos in the community. So Great. Well, yeah. congratulations on your new role with Thank Ivy you. Tech. Yeah. Will most of your work be based in the Evansville, Indiana area, or will you be statewide? Yeah, it's a more of a statewide role. Um, so right now we are implementing, we're getting ready to launch our new strategic plan here in July. And so it'll be working with different projects across the state. Great. And tell me about Alasi. How did you get involved with that? And why did that organization come to be? Yeah, so I'm actually not from Dubois County. So I was born in California. My parents met there. They're from um, a small country in Central America called El Salvador. And um, they moved, I'm going to say it was probably early 2000s into Huntingburg. And um, when they arrived, you know, it felt there wasn't a whole lot of diversity. I'll say it that way. There were very few Latinos, but there were plenty of jobs. And I think that's what drew them to the area. And so a couple years later, it's actually a family member of mine. Um, My aunt's husband really saw a need for more representation of Latinos. Um, It felt like it was a little bit disorganized. There was not a common place to receive services. And so he had this really incredible idea to start this um, organization that was led by Latinos for Latinos. And you know, I think it's really incredible to me to think that he was he was in the United States and he had been here for quite quite some time, but he didn't really know the language. And so to be, you know, an immigrant man who doesn't speak English and try to start this organization to help others who are just like you. And so um, that was, again, like early 2000s. And then it was probably around 2016 when I really got involved. Um, it was after I had graduated, you know, college. And so... All right. Well, very good. So what types of services does Alasi provide for the community? Yeah, You know, it's kind of one of those everything and anything, right? Anything that's available. So it's been primarily led by volunteers. And so like most nonprofit organizations that are volunteer ran, there's not a whole lot that can be done without you know, the capacity. Um, but anything from translation to partnering with other organizations to hold things like immigration clinics, right, to receive some legal help or 
And we actually had another clinic that was all about uh, power of attorneys, right? And just making sure that um, you're taken care of and, and that your children are taken care of. That's a huge concern for Latino families. And, and then also um, partnering with other organizations that focus on health, right? And so, yeah, a little bit of everything. Great. And um, how exactly did you move into the role of president? Is that something you aspired to or is that just? (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely not. I think it was one of those. So the founder one day just came to me. I attended a meeting. He'd asked me if, you know, if it was something that I was interested in. And I think it was like the third meeting. And he said, hey, so we're looking at having some new leaders. And it's always been my vision to have younger people. And I'm going to be completely honest. I did not know what I was doing. I had never led a meeting in my life. And I know that seems like something so simple, but I, yeah, I had no idea how to do it. So, um, no, it just, it was just something that he'd asked and he was like, you know, there's not anyone else right now that's really interested. Do you think that this is something you can do? And I thought, absolutely not. But I had a mentor in my life at the time that was like, yeah, you should definitely try this out, right? Like this would be something that's good for you. You're very passionate about this. And just like from one day to the next, it was like, okay, here you go. Here's this organization now you know, do something with it. I know I've found myself in different roles. And I think my my father would always give piece of advice, like saying yes, and keeping your options open. Mm-hmm. And I think for me, like I've some some of those types of experiences have been great learning opportunities for me. And, um, and it sounds like too, you're also able to not only learn, but help a lot of people in the community. Yeah, no, I absolutely feel like I've actually grown a lot because of it. It was really my first time being, you know, has the potential to leave such a big impact on others. And it just, it's just felt incredible since, you know, the day I said yes. So Sure, sure. So Dubois County, for our listeners who may not be very familiar with it, probably we could describe it as not a, uh, traditionally not a very diverse community. Uh, that is fairly rural. And so I'd be kind of curious your thoughts about how a lossie or what like what lessons have been learned in terms of helping a, a community maybe become more welcoming and more open to increased diversity. What lessons were learned or what what advice might you have for a community that's experiencing something like Dubois County experience over the last several years? Yeah, well, I think you know, one of the things that I've learned is that anytime that you're working with minority communities, it's very, it's a very, how do I describe it? Like it's very raw. Like it's very, it feels very frustrating at times. And it's not always like the road isn't always so straight. It's very windy and curvy. And there are times that it just feels like it's not going anywhere. So I think for Alasi specifically, it's taken years for the organization to really um, build some relationships like in the community with not just other organizations, but even local government. And so to have that visibility, it took, again, lots of meetings, a lot of asking, um, you know, other organizations and people and leaders to meet us where we were. And that's not always an easy thing. And people aren't always going to say yes. So I think it's been a lot of persistence that has kind of helped and make sure that the organization has a name and has a face and is recognized and is a trusted source because, you know, one thing is for the organization to be trusted by the community that it serves, which is the Latino community, right? But for it to be taken seriously by, a, a, you know, a community that historically has not been seen as very diverse or open um, to other individuals. So I think 
persistence is just the it has been my biggest lesson, my biggest takeaway. Sure. One of the one of the things that's kind of interesting as I've worked with Latino communities uh, in the past is that I think there's sometimes this assumption that everyone is the same, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. that, but also there's you know you have people in the Latino community from many different countries, many different backgrounds. Some are are immigrant mm-hmm. uh, individuals. Some have been here for multiple generations. I mean, there's just a lot of diversity there. Could you unpack that and maybe, you know, maybe share some some advice or some thoughts about kind of that diversity there? Yeah, I'm really glad that you brought that up because that's actually one of the things that I feel we've been doing more and more is trying to educate people on that because I think it's there's this misconception about, yeah, who the Latino community is, especially in rural America, right? It's usually the idea is that it's, you know, the working class, typically blue collar, working in manufacturing or agriculture um, type labor positions. And typically the idea is that, you know, uneducated or that they all like eat the same thing like rice and beans. I don't know why this is a thing, but people just, you know, kind of box the Latino community into this, into this one idea of what they've interacted with. And I think, you know, for us, I think as an organization, we've try to be more intentional about making sure that even the leadership of our organization is representative of the diversity that we have in our community. So, you know, we have a lot of young people, a lot of young Latinos who are very educated and who have very completely different needs than their parents, perhaps who maybe don't speak the language or are working some of these very, you know, labor intensive positions at, you know, in manufacturing and agriculture. So, even within like the, again, nationalities, right? Like we have just a very diverse, so maybe we all speak Spanish, but we don't celebrate the same traditions. You know, we don't have the same customs and, and even perspectives on life is very different. And so I think we have to be the organization that's going to mold and kind of help paint the picture of how unique uh, the Latino culture is and how there are so many variations of of people in it. And I think in our community too, we have, I think we're at our third generation of Latinos in Dubois County. And so if you think about that, I mean, we're talking about, again, individuals who probably migrated here, some undocumented, but some documented too, right? We have a lot of professionals that are older Latinos in our community. And I think it's just, again, trying to educate people that it's, we we don't all fit in a box, right? Right. I know I, I had that um, experience. I, I've sometimes worked with churches, and I was working with a Catholic church, and really the church had had changed in recent years, this this church I was working with, and they had about like half the congregation was was Anglo, as they would classify it, and then the other half was Latino. And what was interesting, they really wanted to kind of become more like one Mm-hmm. church one parish and there was almost like this assumption that there that the latino community was more homogenous than it really was and there were there really were almost some some factions and some different groups based on you know nationality and even just like you mentioned like education level i mean there were some that were you know professional uh there was a a doctor i met mm-hmm. and then you had some that were in more blue collar roles. And so it was, mm-hmm. it was, there was great diversity there. And, and for me, I think that was, you know, kind of eye opening. 
Yes. Yeah. Well, and two, again, like thinking about just Dubois County and you're trying to get all of these individuals represented under one organization, that can be very challenging, right? Because I'm going to be completely honest. I mean, I speak Spanish and a lot of the Latinos in our community are just from different countries. And I mean, sometimes I have a challenging, th- just like maybe somebody from the North and somebody from the South talking here in the United <laughs> States, right? You think about those accents, it's the same exact thing. It's like you call a straw something completely different than what somebody else from a different country does. And so it's just, yeah, there's there's a lot of that. And I think um, I think it's really cool that we're in a position to be able, hopefully, to be representative of that sure. diversity. Yeah. I'm kind of curious your thoughts about employers. And so my uh, some of my clients have talked to me before about either they're experiencing more diversity in terms of the, their workforce, or they recognize that in order to grow their workforce, they probably need to move away from the the traditional workforce. In this area, often it's a, a white workforce. And so I'd be curious you know, your thoughts about how employers can really attract, retain, welcome a more diverse population into their workforce. Yeah, I think there's a couple things there. So again, and I'm just speaking from experience in Dubois County, but, you know, I feel like it can be applied pretty much anywhere. So one of the biggest things that I push anytime that we have had, um, you know, like local businesses and organizations reach out about, you know, how do we become more diverse? How do we become more welcoming? And how do we attract more workforce? Because, I mean, it's true in Dubois County, I'm just going to go out and say it, Latinos are very much the backbone of our local manufacturers. And so it's a two-way street, right? So it's not just like, how do I attract Latinos? But like, how how do we as organizations or businesses also go into spaces where traditionally it's Latinos there, right? So like, for example, when Alasi started the first Latino Culture Fest, it was it was over 10 years ago, it was 11 years ago. And so when the festival first started, it felt like, I think to some people, where they assumed that it was only for Latinos. And so once we started seeing non-Latinos, right, Anglos and in these organizations wanting to, for example, to have a booth there, like that's when I feel like things start turning, right? Because now you've got, again, someone who's underserved or um, a minority kind of seeing you occupy those spaces and and wanting to learn and being kind of just very open-minded, knowing that maybe you don't have all the answers and you don't, I I think it's the, the idea that these organizations are willing to be in places where Latinos traditionally are. And so I feel like that's number one. So if you have a local organization that is, you know, assisting that minority group, might not be a bad idea to reach out to them and see how to partner with them, right? Um, The other thing, and one of the things that we've been pushing for a lot um, in Alasi is the hiring of Latino talent, right? Mm -hmm. So I think this is one of those things. And again, when I go back to that, it can be work that's very frustrating. But, you know, for me to have been in the positions that I am, I felt like it took someone kind of pushing me a little bit more, right? Because I feel like for the most part, Latinos aren't going to be the first ones to sign up for a leadership role. Like that's just not going to happen. And so I think if you have young talent, young diverse talent, I think it's never a bad idea for leadership to invest, right? And to put them into leadership positions, even if we don't feel like these individuals are fully ready, right? Like having mentors there. So I feel like that's one of the things that we've pushed for back in Dubois County is 
if you have young Latino talent, right? That, I mean, those are the individuals that are going to be like pulling in your other talent, right? They're the ones that are going to be advocating for your organization or your business. And so I feel like those two things alone can make a huge difference. Sure. I I think that's good advice because often as employers, we ask ourselves, well, why aren't these candidates coming to us? Mm -hmm. And I think we need to ask ourselves, why aren't we going? Exactly. You know, instead of expecting them to come to our turf, like we, we need to go on their turf. Right. And I agree probably once you attract some mm-hmm. talent, then that talent's really going to help. And and they have a great experience right. and, say, and can say, this is a good place to work. Yeah, and, absolutely. Um, then they're going to help attract additional talent. Yeah, I feel like it's like any leadership, right? No matter the choose your flavor, choose your color, but you invest in, in people and in turn, you know, usually the the winning is a lot bigger. Right. <laughs> Now, so so you you uh, went to high school in Huntingburg, mm-hmm. and then what did you do after high school? Yeah, so I went to IU. Actually, went to school for social work. So I, I don't know how I ended up here, but it, <laughs> it, it's been really cool. Yeah, so I went to IU, and then went back home. Okay, and I, I feel the same way because my undergrad degree is in music, and yeah. so I've, I've strayed from that a little bit. Still an important part of me, but. Uh, not necessarily part of my day-to-day mm-hmm. work. After you started working at Ivy Tech, you started working on a master's degree in leadership, and that's that's why you called me Dr. Tad, which <laughs> uh, we Evelyn and I first met uh, for our listeners when she was a student in the Master's of Science and Leadership program at the University of Evansville, and uh, a program that I've I've had a part-time role in as a faculty member and also uh, executive in residence in leadership at University of Evansville. So, so what made you want to to uh, study leadership or, you know, what, what attracted you to that program? Yeah, well, I think, again, going back to how I even started, you know, within a law seat, I felt like I was very much just thrown into something and it and it worked out. And I feel like we truly created an incredible team that just has done so many wonderful things for our community. And so, you know, I feel like it went well, but I feel like the actual piece of like strategic planning or the pieces on creative problem solving, which were things that really interested me, while I feel like I had, you know, some experience or, you know, was able to participate in in certain roles that allowed me to use some of that and some of that creativity, I didn't, I don't feel like I really had a process for it. And so I think for me, um, the leadership program really provided me with like actual tools that I could utilize. And I feel like I've been, I mean, I've been using them nonstop since I started the program. So, well, and finished the program, but, (laughs) um, but yeah, so I think it was, it was just like, how do I like put some meat to the bones is how I like to put it. It's like how, you know, I've, I've got this foundational knowledge just based on my experience, but how do I, you know, take this kind of to the next level? Right, right. You finished, was it last year or was it this year? Yeah, in December. Okay, December. Okay. What's interesting is that leadership, in in my opinion, is probably the most important role within an organization, yet most leaders really never formally study uh, leadership. So I might ask you, how did like formal education and leadership really help you um, and how could that help other leaders as they, or or maybe aspiring leaders too? 
Yeah. And so I think one of the biggest takeaways from the program itself for me was that there is no absolute one way to do leadership. And I think it was very unique to kind of see some of the principles. And I think, mm-hmm. you know, learning from the beginning, I think one of our first classes was really about like a lot of principles and about like even just understanding yourself. And I think most of the time people in leadership roles aren't taking a whole lot of time to really understand, you know, what is their style or what, what are their tendencies. And I think the program really forced me to look at what I was currently doing and then kind of maybe experiment with some, with some other things. So I think the formal education, again, like I said, the tools, like it provides you with something that you can actually use and that you can, you know, see how it works within your organization. I don't feel like, you know, not all the pieces, right. But like, I feel like there was a lot of, um, of those principles that just felt very organic to me. I feel like leadership is just, it's talked about so many times, like as this thing, this one thing that's really far away and it's really embedded into like everyday work, right? You don't have to, one of the things I learned in the program was that you don't have to be in a leadership, you don't have to be managing people to really be a leader, right? There's a lot of influence that can happen. And I think that formal education kind of helps you think of leadership in so many ways more than just managing people, but like what you're doing in your everyday life to influence those around you or to, you know, to be someone that's effective in whatever you do. Sure. I know. I, I like that definition of leadership really being about influence. And so you don't need necessarily a title Mm -hmm. to influence people. Mm -hmm. And, and we have a great ability to like positively or negatively influence the people around us. And ultimately it's a choice that we, that we make to, uh, you know, how we're going to influence people. Tell me about like your approach to leadership. So you, you know, you have a, a a role at Ivy Tech, but then you also have a volunteer role Mm -hmm. um, with Alasi. So tell me how, like, how do you approach leadership? Yeah. And is it different, like in a work situation versus like uh, a role, like as a volunteer leader? For me, it's been very similar. And I say this because again, I feel like I was kind of, I graduated college and then I was I felt like I was thrown into this this role within a lossy of being president. I, you know, never done anything like that. One of the things that I felt I did was very much lean on the people that were in the organization. I feel like that still carries true to today. I feel like people are more likely to do their best work if they feel like they have control over the work that they do. They have like they have decision making ability. And so I feel like Alasi, it had to be that, right? I couldn't do all the things and I couldn't be in all the places. So it was very much a trusting the individuals that were part of that organization that they knew what they were doing or that they had just as much capability, probably even more than I did to um, do some really cool things with the organization. And so I feel like that very much carried over into how I did things at work, which is, it feels backward, right? Like it feels like how I, you know, learned to work, you know, my the work that pays me money <laughs> um, should have been what taught me how to navigate being a volunteer. Does that make sense? But it was kind of the opposite. Sure. No, that, that makes sense. I think that's, you make a really good point, like about as a leader, one of the most important things we can do is empower the people around us. And I, I find a lot of leaders who are are good at that. But then I also encounter leaders who, they want to be involved in every little decision. 
And I find like, if we can cast a vision, like as a leader, where we want to go on the whole, and what somebody wants to do within that aligns with that vision, even if it's not the way we would do things, mm-hmm. we're going to have much greater success if we empower that person to have some autonomy and really own that decision that they want, you know, because they're going to they're going to have more buy in and uh, are going to be much more likely to be successful. And so often as leaders, we want to be involved in these little details that don't matter. Yeah. Yes. (laughs) And and so I and I think especially with volunteers, when you work with volunteers, you have to almost give people maybe more latitude than you would in a in a work environment where you're managing the person. Yeah. Well, because to me, it goes back to these are people who are giving their precious time, right? Like this isn't a paid position. This is their time that they could be spending with their family, with their kids, with their friends, with whoever, watching a Netflix show. I don't care, right? Like people have this precious thing called time and you put them, they're involved, like they're volunteering because they clearly feel some type of passion, right, for the work that's being done. And so I think Yeah, that trust was so huge, I think, for our team. And still to this day, I mean, it holds true. It's people own different pieces of the organization and you just trust that they know how to do that piece the best, right? And so, yeah, I'm not a fan of the the being involved in every, like having to say, yeah, is is this okay? Yeah, no, no, you do it the way that you need to do it, right? Like this year we're having a culture fest and we're doing um, some other things among that. And so there is an entire committee that this year I just said, you know, take it. And and there have been like five times where I've been like, oh my God, that's not, that's not at all how I would do that. <laughs> but it's working out beautifully and they don't need me. I think, you know, I think that's the cool thing about if, anytime that you're in a leadership position is like when your team, when you feel like they don't really need you, I feel like that's when it's done right, right? Because you need to work yourself out of a job so that the next person can take it over. I just feel like I don't know, people feel, feel more empowered and passionate about what they're doing if they're given autonomy. Mm-hmm. And there's an ego piece to leadership. I mean, we don't want to admit that, but I know I've felt that at times where I I think the organization can't survive without me. Right. <laughs> and yes. I need to be the one doing all the work mm-hmm. or um, putting in the longest hours and... Mm-hmm. and um, what I realized, though, was like if I could build a team yes. that over time, like you said, it wasn't dependent on me. Mm-hmm. Like I could even remove myself and they were they were fine. And sometimes I was just getting in the way. Right. Yeah, I have found that out too. <laughs> yeah, many, many times within Alazi. Well, and even at work too. It's just, yeah, it's carried over. I... I ended up in a leadership role at a young age. And so I was the principal of a high school, you know, at 27. Mm -hmm. And that was kind of intimidating to have employees that were older than me and parents of students were older than me. And really the students weren't that much younger than me. Yeah. And so you've ended up in a leadership role. How how have you managed that or how is that what's your what is your mindset around like being probably younger than most of the volunteers? Yeah. Yeah, so it's happened to me at Alasi and then in a previous role that I was in I was a corporate trainer for a bank 
And I was training people who had so much more experience than I did and probably knew more about what I was talking about than I knew what I was talking about. <laughs> like it was just, you know, people who had so much more experience and organizational knowledge and similar right now in Alasi. So right now we have a team that's blended now. It's not just Latinos. We have Anglos actually on our board, which is something really incredible. But I'm not going to say that I handled it so well at the beginning. It felt like I had to be this, there's almost like you have to be serious all the time, right? Because you want to be taken seriously. You're like, no, I, I deserve to be here. Right? Like I should be here. And there's a little bit of that imposter syndrome, right? And so I feel like I've been navigating that for a couple of years now. I think right now it's just being okay with not always having the answer and just being vulnerable, I think is actually very important, has been really important for me because I feel like I've been able to learn from the individuals who, who I quote unquote have managed, right? I feel like if I'm open to understanding where they're coming from or being even educated from them, like I feel like I've been able to maybe get a little bit more respect and, and be a little bit more accepted, I guess. Right. I think as a leader, it's easy for us to think that we need to have all the answers. Mm -hmm. And I think that was a hard thing for me, like in, in early leadership roles, like people would ask me a question and I would think, well, they really expect me to have an answer. <laughs> and sometimes I would give them an answer and it wasn't right. Right. <laughs> and you quickly learn that that destroys credibility. Yeah. And so for me, it was a a learning experience to be able to say, and really a growth experience for me to say, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. But I will figure find that out. out. Yeah, I will find <laughs> out and get back with you. <laughs> and and that was kind of a that was kind of a hard thing for me to adjust to. Yeah. It took it took me some time as well. So you mentioned to me before the podcast that Alasi has uh, developed a strategic plan. Mm -hmm. um, tell me about that process and, uh, you know, maybe tell me about what, what the end result has been. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to credit you at this point. <laughs> so your strategic planning class really, really helped with that. And I, I actually used the same textbook and kind of went through and kind of highlighted the pieces. So yeah, one of the things that we were working with is that we had never had a strategic plan. So we were actually starting from scratch and that, it can feel like it's very overwhelming. But one of the things that we realized as we looked in the at the work that we had done, and the reason we did the strategic plan was because we were having two organizations merge. So it was our local Latino collaboration table, which I know Evansville has one as well, but, and then Alasi. So we, we looked at historically, like what the work had been around, right? Like what, what were we known for, right? And we, what, you know, what were some, what were things that we excelled in? What are things that you know, we kind of had more challenges in and what were things that our community was expecting from us. So those are kind of the first four questions that we asked ourselves. And from that, I feel like we saw some emerging themes. And then from those themes, it was, it was almost just like felt very organic as we were having the conversation. I think we had like two strategic planning sessions and then boom, we had like our four pillars and we had strategies and goals and metrics that we were going to use to measure them. But it really took our entire board coming together and kind of almost visioning, right? Like we used a lot of like flip chart paper is now my best friend. And so our large stickies, <laughs> all the colored stickies. But we really went through and like I, I know it can feel like very cumbersome to do something like a SWOT analysis. And I know that it's talked about a lot, but it felt very natural, right? Because the 
the work that we were doing was very something that we felt very passionate about. And like I said, we had already had all this work that we had done previously, but we did do a SWOT analysis. We kind of looked at what our community expected from us. And if like, if we could dream big, if we could do all the things in the world, what would that look like? And then actually put into place the practical things that just seemed like they were in reach. And so I don't, I can't tell you like the step-by-step that we did, but it was just looking, just visioning, right? Dreaming. And then actually what is actually practical and what are, what are those pieces? What are things that we have to address as an organization and what need do we fill? Right. Yeah. I mean, I think that sounds like a great process. And what's especially cool is when a group comes together and like really develops this unified vision, because that's mm-hmm. that's where the power comes from. All of a sudden, it's like we're all moving in the same direction and we have a similar vision in terms of where we want to go. And, and I think when it comes down to it, I mean, it's strategic planning. We like to overcomplicate usually. And the, even the textbook that we use for that class kind of overcomplicates it. It's like, you know, 500 pages or whatever. <laughs> and, and sometimes it's just about like, what do we want to accomplish? Like, mm-hmm. you know, what is, what is the end result or the outcome? And like, how do we measure that? Yeah. And like, what are the strategies we're going to, yeah, or what is, what's the work we're going to do that's, to advance that? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's kind of that simple. It, it really was very simple. That's the thing. I think, a lot of organizations sometimes do. And I think, again, starting with the dream, I think for us, like we, we used a lot of keywords, like what are the things that we want to be known for? And then what is the work that we need to be doing in our community? And how do we achieve that? Like what would help move the needle for mm-hmm. those for those things? Right. And, and probably the piece I, I neglected, but I was implied was, I mean, really developing like what is... Uh, and people use lots of different words for it, like vision, mission, values, or core purpose and values, like you know, who are we as an organization? And then from there, you develop outcomes that align with that. And then you develop strategies that align with the outcomes. I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of simple. And I think in, you know, when the world moves slower, we took more time to do this. And I think a lot of times, just like you mentioned, sometimes you can develop a very clear, an actionable strategic plan in a couple sessions. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it takes a little longer. Yeah. Um, depending on where the organization is. But you you had a merger of two organizations. Yes. And so what was kind of the the mission of the other organization? Yeah. So okay. So Lassie's mission previously was really to be that organization that provided resources right for the latino community Mm -hmm. on the flip side the latino collaboration table was looking for a way to provide i'm just going to call it resources to organizations who were serving the latino community and so it just felt like it was a natural mesh it was like we were both almost doing not the same thing but we were trying to accomplish the same thing which is an equitable dubois county right and we want to be able to break down barriers for not just Latino community members, but organizations who, again, are coming in, are interacting with Latino community on a day-to-day basis. And so, yeah, that was there. Yeah, the mission was how, how might our local organizations best meet the needs of the Latino community? And then we were the organization meeting the needs, right? So it just felt like a natural fit. Was it... Um 
Has it been a, a smooth transition? Because I find I've done some nonprofit merger work and collaboration work. So sometimes it's just like two different nonprofits that are operating in a similar space and they realize it would make sense to collaborate and make sure they're not duplicating services. And so it's just a maybe a collaboration or a partnership. But then I've also been involved with some actual mergers mm-hmm. and both are complex. Yes. And so how did you like successfully navigate that? Like what worked and were there any lessons that you learned that yeah. are important to share? Yeah, we had several sessions before. I mean, we had several meetings and a lot of going back and forth before even deciding that this was the best thing to do. And it was great work, but it felt very painful during the during the actual process itself. So one of the best things that we could do was bring in a facilitator, right? Because there was a lot of like, how would we, and does this make sense? And no, but how do we make sure that we're not leaving? So if we're going to become a lossy, how do we also still serve our local employers, right? So it was a lot of these questions and it felt like, okay, can we just put this all up on the board? Like, what are the most important things for us that we feel we need to carry forward? Like, what are the things that we don't want to lose as an organ- as each of the organizations, right? And then we kind of started just mapping, kind of drawing lines. Okay, well, this aligns with this other thing that we're doing here, right? And so it took a long time, but you know, at the end, it just required, sometimes you almost need that little bit of like pushing, right? That little bit of conflict. It worked, but it took a lot of sessions. Sure. I I can imagine though, because a lot of times when we're invested in an organization, like we were involved for a reason, like because of a passion or, you know, strong commitment. And so, you know, nobody wants to see their organization die or their the area that they're really passionate about to fail or anything like that. And so it is hard. Mm -hmm. But I think if you can have those types of conversations up front, it'll save a lot of time after the fact. Um, And it sounds like you had some really open conversations and it was a, a productive use of time that probably led to then a much more once you actually decided to merge to uh, probably a smoother transition it did yeah and then also to having that strategic planning session after the fact really allowed again just to make sure that none of what the work that each organization had done in the past none of that was going to be left behind right like it we could move that work forward and make sure that we you know did it in a way that it was smarter, right? We're not two organizations kind of rowing in the same direction, but in different boats. Why don't we just make one boat that is bigger and faster and better? So, yeah. Right. I mean, that's that's why you see in the corporate world a lot of like mergers and acquisitions. Organizations realize like, hey, if we combined our resources, we could have um, there's synergy related to that. And and the same thing with with nonprofits. Like if you there there are probably a, a limited number of volunteers and a limited number of dollars and a limited number of time. And so how do you make sure that, you know, you're not competing with each other? Right, right. And it builds capacity too within the organizations because I think, again, at least for our two organizations, we we had a capacity issue, right? We wanted to do all the things. And I mean, it just makes sense, like you said, like share the resources. If we've got We've got individuals that are passionate about this work. Why not just bring the two together? Mm-hmm. 
What would you say you're most proud of as a leader? Mm-hmm. What I'm most proud of? I think it would be just that the people who I've worked with, like they've, I feel like we've been able to share a lot of passion. And I think like the greatest work that I've done has come through the, like when I feel passionate. And so I feel like for me, yeah, the thing that I'm most proud of has to be, for example, like Alasi. I'll, I'll just use them as an example. It's that we had a group of like-minded people and with a lot of differences, but the fact that we stayed together for as long as we did and try to do the work for as long as we did has really produced something really cool for our county and something that I think can be, will be probably, I'm hoping a best practice in other, in other places. But I think it's just that it's that I've been able to do what I'm most passionate about and that I've been able to do it with people who both think like me and that are very different than me. And I've been able to learn from that. And I think it's just the learning from others. Sure. Sure. Yeah. So now let's switch gears in your new role with Ivy tech, you'll be helping like implement different strategic initiatives, Mm -hmm. part of the Ivy tech strategic plan. And this is like on a statewide level. One of the things I've seen with organizations and my strategy work is that often they spend a lot of time creating the plan Mm -hmm. and they have this great plan and then very little happens after that. So what is Ivy Tech doing to make sure that this new plan is implemented? Yeah, actually very, very innovative and something that I don't, I don't know, maybe I just haven't been around long enough to know that other organizations do this, but they, we are forming different committees and groups that oversee and they're personally responsible for pieces of the plan. Again, it goes back to that ownership. It's not just, you know, leadership telling, I think our, our entire team, like, here's the strategic plan, now go do it. It's very much a lot of our team members have a piece of it and get to really kind of dictate how we're going to implement it. So I think these different committees, these different advisory boards are going to be responsible for ultimately setting up what are the goals, right? So we've got we've got those we've got these goals, we've got these strategies, but like how we accomplish that mm-hmm. is going to be up to that group. And I, so it's really cool. Okay, we're launching here in July, so we'll see we'll see how how that goes. But I but there will be these committees that are then ultimately responsible for reporting out. You know, what are the projects? Here's what we're doing. Here's where how we're advancing the work. Okay, so so it sounds like Ivy Tech has really identified like outcomes they want to accomplish. And then there's going to be some latitude among the teams for like how that work looks and what, what actually takes place. Yeah, correct. That's cool. I know I had a meeting one time with the uh, president of Ivy tech, uh, Mm -hmm. Dr. Sue Elsperman, and she had shared at the time they were really doing a lot with uh, four disciplines of execution and having like weekly stand-up meetings and really focusing their their attention, you know, on specific initiatives. And it seemed like it was a very disciplined approach yes. to implementing their plan. Yeah, we are still doing that. And yeah, it is very much. So I think this time, you know, there's a lot of leveraging of resources on actually managing the strategic plan itself. It's not, like you said, just something that is created and kind of left to the side and then like a you know yearly check-in of 
okay, where are we at? It's it's an ongoing, it's going to be, again, using a lot of technology too, to make sure that we're able to track what we're, what we're doing. And part of that is 4DX. So. Sure. That's awesome. Um, because I, I think what's, what happens in so many organizations is we create these new priorities or these new initiatives and and we expect the current employees to do more work yeah. without taking anything off their plate. Right. Yeah. I think one of the really cool things that Ivy Tech is doing right now is that, you know, with the new strategic plan, there's a lot of the work that's actually already being done. And so we're just tying it in to this new plan, right? So if this is, if these are our outcomes, well, let's not like add any work. Like you said, let's, let's not make any, you know, duplication. It's what's the work that we're already doing and is there anything else or how do we make this work better, easier? Yeah. Sure. Are are there any specific setbacks you've experienced as a leader that have helped you grow? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it was hearing a lot of no's. Yeah, you know, I think it's, you know, it's really hard when you feel passionate about something and you know, right, in very deep inside that if we just did this one thing, things would be better. But one of the things that I learned is sometimes not everyone is there with you when you are, right? So, for example, like with the Latino community, it was like, I know we need we need an organization that's stronger and we need perhaps a resource center, a place where people can, can access services and where local companies and industries can also, you know, kind of be involved in, in that process. And, and it's a mutually beneficial relationship, right? That I felt like I was advocating for years, like we need something like this, but I think there's also a time and place for people to hear the message. And so I think that's, that's been a big learning curve for me is, just because you're passionate about something or just because you feel, and I, and it's happened at the workplace too, right? Where I'm like, I've got this really good idea and I know if we just did this one thing, you know, we'd all be better for it, but it's learning the time and place too of when things can happen and, and being patient. Right. I, I think as leaders, we could probably all do a better job of like recognizing just because it's our idea that's not good enough in terms of making it really fly. Mm-hmm. But if we can figure out like how to continue to advocate for or promote or build acceptance like mm-hmm. that. And and then when it finally becomes almost like a grassroots mm-hmm. decision, like or, or grassroots sort of support, then all of a sudden, like when, all the people around you are saying we need to do this. That's when right. you're going to have like this great buy-in and acceptance and greater chance for success. Yes, I agree with that. Has that resource center come to fruition? We are in the works. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's there's some work happening right now trying to map out how exactly to do this. And I it's gonna take some time, but I we're on the right path. Awesome. That's yeah. great. What are you most excited about? Oh my gosh. And it could be community, it could be work, it could be uh, personal life. What are you excited yeah. about right now? I think, oh my gosh, all the things. <laughs> I, I'm a ball of excitement right now. <laughs> um, no, so I think, you know, I think this this new position that I'm in, again, just really, I feel like it's going to use the best of my strengths, I think, you know? And so I feel like 
I, I love what Ivy Tech is doing right now. I love what Ivy Tech is doing as a whole for the state and educating people and, you know, providing resources and, and being that access to higher education for maybe individuals who probably wouldn't have otherwise this type of access. But I think it's that the work that I'm doing, the actual work that I get paid for, right, is something that I absolutely enjoy doing and that I love the people that I'm working with, both like at my work that pays me and then in the community, right? Like it's just, I feel like I'm in this stage of just continuous learning and like I know I finish my master's program, but I just feel like I'm still, like I'm still in school. I don't know. I feel like I'm still just learning and I don't know. I'm just trying to soak that up as much as I can. Sure. What a great place to be though, because if we can find roles that we really are passionate about and we feel like really are a great fit for our strengths, like it often doesn't feel like work. No, it doesn't. Yeah, it does. And I know I'm only on like week three, but but it just doesn't. And everything that, you know, that I'm seeing that I'm going to be responsible for is just something that really excites me. And I think, yeah, when you can be in a place that you get excited about the work that you do. You're right. It doesn't feel like work. It just feels like, I don't know, fun. I don't know. I don't know why I say it that way, but it just does. It sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah. And and as leaders, I think if we can find roles in our organizations where people feel like they're able to contribute their best self every day, like that's when we really create these these great organizations because people are are excited to come to work and they're passionate about it. And it doesn't, like you said, it often feels like fun rather than work. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, great. Well, Evelyn, thanks so much for joining us today. It was a great conversation. And I think uh, I took some things away in terms of, especially like volunteer leadership. I love the, the suggestions you gave in terms of like, how employers might be able to be more welcoming and open and uh, attract and retain a more diverse workforce. And I'm excited to hear about all the things Alasi will accomplish in the future and also Ivy Tech. Yeah, thank you. So thank you and have a great day. Thank you too. To learn more about Dr. Tad Dickel and the T.A. Dickel Group, please visit tadickle.com. Thank you for joining us.